1: Um, and it's titled Black Woman See, society has painted a tainted image of black woman but no matter how deadly its clutch and far reaching its stretch, society can't hold back the truth about black woman black woman is voice echoing words of inspiration and cries for help Black woman is occupied fighting battles on many fronts. Black woman soldier, this world battle. Black woman is mother to kings and queens who are labelled and stripped of their rights daily. Black woman barely sleeps, waiting for children to come home, afraid that they might meet a tragic defeat. Black woman teacher, teaching little black kings and queens their value, their strength and abilities. Black woman strength, she moves mountains and carries burdens like their light as feather. Black woman is spotlight, always being watched, always being critiqued. Black woman can't make mistakes for her consequences are double, if not more, than the average individual. Black woman beauty. Black woman beauty dipped in melanin that's gold. Black woman bold. Not afraid to stand up for what she believes in. Not afraid to shape foundations if need be. Black woman doctor black woman healing, black woman underestimated and doubted, black woman magic, the way she keeps getting handed the short of straws, yet she keeps turning it into more, black woman wrestler, the way she keeps going head to head and keeps knocking down walls, black woman is her mother's daughter, the way she keeps getting back up after every fall, the way the ground shakes and all every time she walks, black woman rock, The black woman human, black woman feels, black woman flesh, black woman burns, black woman bleeds, black woman cries, black woman is, black woman is. Black woman is like so many others. Black woman is tied. Yeah.
0: That was the amazing Zainab G Farah in the first Griffin Speak for 2019 held in Pasco Vale. Griffin Speak is a quarterly event that focuses on bringing light to the stories of local artists from predominantly marginalised backgrounds. We'll hear more from Zainab in subsequent programs. This is the Spoken Word Program on 3CR Community Radio. Good morning. My name is Brendan Bonsack, and we're proud to be broadcasting from Wurundjeri, land of the Kulin Nation. Pay our respects to elders past and present. Ahead of the global school strike for climate on the 15th of March, Open Studio in Northcote is hosting a special spoken word gig in solidarity, a celebration of feminism and climate justice. The evening is presented by the Women's Climate Justice Collective and ActionAid and will feature Ashley Russell, Natalie Jeffries, Pacific Climate Warriors Nala and Flo, and my guest today, Rhiann Isaacs. Welcome to the show.
2: Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you going? <laughs> I'm good. How are you?
0: Are you excited about performing?
2: I am. I always am. Yeah, I love performing. Yeah, it's one of my biggest joys, I think.
0: Shall we start with a poll?
2: I've got words for the man that killed near Wilson. I've got words for the man that killed La Chol. I've got words for the man that killed. I've got words for the man that killed. I've got words for the man that Makes me quicken my step whenever I find myself out on the streets past sunset. No one to either side of me. Him at the back of my mind, fear-turned poltergeist, waiting to wrap his finger around my neck to place himself into the parts of me that he has no business calling home. And I am waiting for him, and I am waiting for him, and I am waiting for him, for him, for him to come cause the damage that I have seen him impose on so many women that I call friend, cousin teacher, acquaintance, friend of a friend, woman, 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 we have lost so many women, disappeared into the ground, they can't speak, I speak for them, all of them, black, brown, white, trans, cis, 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 cis. I wish, I wish I knew what to say to stop all the murderous men who dig premature graves and then bury us in misogyny, who received life from a woman and then stole life from a woman, I mean the hell I look like, having a son who does not know what it means to be decent, does not know what it means to preserve safety, does not know what it means to treat a woman as though he were one himself. My daughters will not be named victim, will not carry their ever-growing femininity within them like a bomb set to self-destruct. They will deconstruct agendas, policies, bad dates, anything that attempts to tie their hands behind their backs and they will not be ashamed to admit when they like having their hands tied behind their backs. Because you see, To be restrained consensually is to live with your arms wide open, it is. To reclaim and then redistribute a sexuality that was never truly yours and it is yours. And I've got words for the mandem who still have trouble understanding that there's nothing sexy about weaponized hands, gunpowdered fingers, the colonisation of bodies and I need you to understand this anger and I need you to feel this pain. I need you. we all need you because our girls they are still dying every day
0: do you feel like it's still an emergency
2: yeah sometimes you do feel that something is getting that is getting better um, and then another woman dies in the most horrendous way and you could be living your own life and thinking you are really safe and feeling very safe. And then, you know, something will happen on the way home, you know. You'd hear someone from across the street shout something at you or just someone's walking behind you and you think they're getting a little bit too close and you're like, actually, you know, I could end up like someone who's been in the news just the other week. And it really does remind you that um, not enough is being done you know, and women are having to look over their shoulders all the time. And as long as we have to do that, it is a state of emergency.
0: I was talking to a teenager recently who, who was a, a boy. He said, why do we need feminism, <laughs> especially in this country? Women are not oppressed in this country. And I brought up that very thing, that you don't necessarily live your life always looking over your shoulder. Exactly. And just that, apart from everything else. Mm -hmm. Is a
2: form of oppression. Right. And the fact that there are boys, especially young boys, who still think that it's not needed. You know, these are the people who are going to grow up and say the same things to their daughters or say the same things to their wives and girlfriends. And, you know, and I think just to belittle someone's struggle is part of the emergency, part of the problem. And also to think about your own country, Australia is relatively safe compared to a lot of other places. You know, like I did grow up in South America, in Guyana, and there like, until I was about, what, 14 years old, I wasn't allowed to walk on the streets on my own. Or at least I had to wear certain clothing when I walked out on the streets because my father was petrified of something happening to me. And I felt oppressed in that way too, in the fact that I couldn't be on my own or be trusted to be on my own. And my brothers were out at like 10, you know, 11 years old on their own, doing their own thing. And I couldn't do that. I wasn't necessarily afforded the same privileges. And I know that it came from a place of love from my father, but the fact that he had to do that alone means that I was oppressed just in general, you know, that I wasn't safe. If you are living in ignorance and then someone comes along and says, hey, you're living in ignorance, Here's what's going on, and you choose to deflect it just for your own safety, because I think that's mostly what it is. You know, it, it feels like an attack on your whole gender, right? And so they want to say that it's not needed, and this isn't happening, because then they'd be the bad guys in the story, basically. Um, and so when someone comes up to you and says, actually, this is what's going on, and you choose to do that, I think that's when we need to actually start sorting things out, because it's fine to be ignorant about something. It's not fine to not listen to people trying to educate you.
1: We've been striking on and off since the first of November.
0: All over the world, school-aged kids are on strike to demand action on climate change. In Melbourne, the school strike is running from twelve till two PM on Friday the fifteenth of March at the Treasury Building on Spring Street in the city. At 3CR, we believe that action on climate change is urgently required. There will be no community radio on a dead planet. So today, we come together with our friends at Joy94.9, Sin and Triple R in support of our youth and their message to our leaders to take urgent action on climate change. For more information, go to studentstrikeforclimate.com.
1: Hi, this is Vika Bull, and you're listening to 3CR
2: 855 AM. Yeah. My grandmother died at the age of 83. Stuck in a bed with a mind that refused to remember my name but would always remind her not to eat. She was a striking woman. Six foot tall and a foot wide, she'd sweep the ceilings in any room but would never get stuck between the furniture. Her hips were delicate rounds that fit into the palms of most men, and at dinner, she'd fill her stomach with laughter as she watched her family eat the meals she prepared. They say my grandmother was so full of life until she wasn't, until her empty grew hungry, devoured her, made a meal of the body she neglected to feed until all she was was brittle bone and weakened heart, a sieve of a woman. Alcohol fell through her like rain through leaves. I guess my roots are soaked in rum and Jamaican lager. I guess this lust for me to feel bone under skin is something that I can't run away from. It's folded gently into the ancestral surface of my psyche. It stares back at me in the shine of an empty plate. It's in the embrace of my father's sister who, whenever she comes over, politely accepts our offerings. Usually a bellyful of West Indian joy, but she sets it down further away from her and the table than most people would. Even attempts to lift her fork, but endeavours to get lost in a conversation, so it seems she did not purposefully forget about her food. Just caught up with catching up, just interested in everything else, she just doesn't need as much as everyone else. I hear her say I can't take as much as everyone else, I don't deserve as much as everyone else and I too like the women before me shrink myself into a small frame of polite smiles in the crooks of sofas My body is at its most beautiful when it doesn't intrude on anyone else. You see, there's nothing to see here. Go on without me. I'm only a fistful. My fingers are tape measures. It feels like this is how much I am allowed to be. You know, when you are black and you are woman and your hips start to expand and the word ho starts to bloom from the mouths of men and your breasts are no longer yours, only nourishment for hungry eyes becomes difficult to accept these curves. 16 years old and starved from a day of refusing to be a woman. I'm walking home in my school uniform when I feel a hand slide up the back of my left thigh, up underneath the skirt that my mother took me to buy. I turn around and it's a man that I do not know. He carries on walking, much fuller than he was before on my flesh on my skin and I wish how I wished that there was less of me to touch
0: That's a harrowing story
2: Yeah, I know (laughs) but it's one that so many girls have been through that know the story Not a lot of women will hear this and think that's crazy, that really happened to you I've had friends, like in the last year alone mostly all of my friends have told me stories of sexual assault cuz they've just gotten into university in England, you know, and that's meant to be one of the safe countries as you say. Like when growing up, I I did like struggle with like eating disorders and all that and I wasn't entirely sure what the reason was and like my dad would say like yeah, your mother's your grandmother's the same way, like, you know, she also didn't eat much and like my aunt my aunt didn't eat doesn't eat much. And I think I kind of like connected the two of like not wanting to be this this woman with like a full body that men sort of are into, you know, and they like have like bits of me being like seen by men. And so the smaller I was, the less that would happen. It was really, um, it was like a light bulb in my head sometimes when I actually figured that out, you know. Because I just didn't want to be consumed like that, and so as a way of stunting that, I stopped eating.
0: And how long did it take you for that light bulb to go off?
2: Ages, years, years and years. Um, I think I always knew, but I didn't want to like to say that's the reason. I was just like, no, I just want to be skinny, basically, you know. But you know, the skinnier you are, the younger you look. You know, you don't look like a woman, right? And well, not that you don't look like a woman, you don't look like a full woman you know with the with the breasts and the the bum and everything and so i think i didn't know how to actually say what i was feeling i knew what i was feeling i didn't know how to say it and to say it like that in a poem that's even harder you know and and that's why i think a lot of my work kind of like centers around mental health sometimes it's it's because i want to be able to create a voice. Um, A lot of things that I say in my poems, I would not be able to say to someone uh, face to face. And I don't know if you've noticed, but what a lot of people do say to me is that in my poems, like I, I can articulate certain things, but when it comes to actually sitting down and speaking to someone, it's so much harder. And like I kind of like get a little bit quieter and I need to think about everything that I want to say and make sure it comes out in the right way. But with a poem, if you've already done all of that, that process is done. So you just have to give it to the person, you know, and that's why poetry is so powerful. You
0: know. Do you feel like there's a wall around you when you're performing?
2: Sometimes. I don't feel like I'm having I feel like I'm inhabiting the the, the version of me that is uh the most real and true, um, and also I don't think the wall definitely just in, like includes me. I think when I'm performing on stage, I do try to include everybody inside this little space that I've created inside my my little house. Basically, you know, this is Ryan's mind. Welcome, you know, and that's why I try to do a lot of eye contact and everything to say that like, do you see me? Because I see you right now, you know, and yeah it's that the walls do exist but they bring everybody in I think and that's the only way that I can actually do that with so many people you know so yeah that's why I love it I do like sitting like by myself and reading something obviously um but to me I think poetry is the strongest when it's on stage and you're performing in front of people For me, that's always what poetry was. It was performing. So when I went to school, when we would learn poetry, because that's what we did, we sat down in class and the teacher would give us a poem, the poem of the week, basically, and we'd memorise it, and then at the end of the week, we'd go up and we'd recite it.
0: What were the sorts of poems that you were told to learn?
2: Uh, All sorts. Um, My favourite was Martin Carter. So Martin Carter is a Guyanese poet. Um he was born in the same country that I grew up in and that my family's from. Um, and his poetry was very um, political and it was before the country gained independence. And so I really, really felt like that was like, strong poetry, strong writing. And that's what I wanted to do. And you could hear that in my poetry too, I think. Um, and also we did a lot of things about uh, just war you know, we did a lot of war poetry, you know, because being a British colony, uh, that was a thing that we had a lot of education about, I think, um, World War Two and World War One.
0: Did women poets feature much?
2: Uh, surprisingly, no. Uh, besides from the the obvious, you know, with like, I did a bit of Sylvia Plath in secondary school. Other than that. Uh, Not really. No, I do remember actually thinking that, that a lot of the poets that I grew up reading were men and white men at that. There was really not a lot of representation. Um, And so I didn't really feel off put by it. I felt like there was a space for me that I needed to create, you know, that I needed to go in and actually do this, you know, and that I can do it better than Shakespeare, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah, and, I mean, women that haven't had the same opportunities that men have had for as long, you know, in terms of writing and performing and, you know, expressing themselves. And that probably has a part to play. And also now, even though we do have those rights, you know, we're not taking it seriously. And so I think that definitely someone needs to change it. And there are so many women out there who are doing that now. Um yeah, and it was inspiration, I think, for me, rather than uh, the opposite. Yeah. We sail for human rights, indigenous sovereignty, and climate justice. Our destination is Manus Island. Join us for the Freedom Flotilla, sailforjustice.org get on board, a 3CR
1: supporter.
2: Jail, they their
0: this is the Spoken Word Programme on Community Radio 3CR, my name is Brendan Bonsack, and I'm talking to Ryan Isaacs.
2: My mom's great, she's a champion, you know, she's so supportive, um, and I know that I can talk to her about everything, There's so many things you don't know about your mother, you know, and I'm at the age where I'm finding out so many things and it's really just growing my respect and admiration for her. And I'm always, always so appreciative of those conversations that we have. Yeah, she's, she's like, uh, she's a hero in my life. Mum tells Dad to go fuck himself for suggesting that she was fucking someone else or at least I wish she had. I wish that she had taken the mud that he flung into her face and turned it into something twice as dirty. I wish that she for once created the filth. Instead of being the one to mop it clean, my mother was always cleaning, ironing the angry wrinkles that habitually inhabited the tops of my father's brow. When he became more hurricane than man, she would be the one to clamber through rubble and salvage the roof. This very household uses her bones as scaffold and I watched her put her body between two men made of mountain threatening to make an earthquake of my family but she feared the conflict between my father and my brother more than she feared bruises so she accepted the blows volunteered her shoulders to bear the weight of unintended words spat towards blood desperately trying to remind us that we were blood and that this This is no way to behave, not in her house, not in her presence. She remained the voice of reason for so long until her tongue slowly retreated back into her throat. Her words making a home of her stomach. She was tired of talking. And as she grew quieter, the house fell louder. When she first discovered the lines running across my left forearm, marking all the times I felt defeated, she painted the walls and laid down new carpet. When my older brother grew apathetic and angry, she leveled the tables, she... Steady the chair, straighten anything with a slight lean because she knew what it was like to grow up in a world of topsy-turvy. Everything upside down with the head of the house was brick and broken bones, so she kept everything open and bright, gave us oxygen when we were choking on our own hurt. My mother saved us, she is the light that keeps everything in plain view. She has fingers around weary wrists, raising fists, insisting that the fight within us is a gift and that we should never take aim on ourselves, especially when there's a whole world out there gunning to kill us. You you no, know, when the floorboards in your own home feel like landmines and a door swinging shut is gunfire, you start to wonder Are you safe, even within your own skin? Will your own hands turn on you when you least expect it? What do you do when your hopelessness comes from your previous source of hope? Is there any way to shake the tide from these curtains? Clear the clutter from this stairway? Make everything alright just for a second, a minute, a day or two? You, my mother, you, you have always made everything alright even when there was so much trying to break your fingers trying to stop you from holding it together, you know? I always speculated that she wasn't quite human Capeless superwoman, undercover ninja or something, I mean, I could never really understand how she did it, Umi, Umi, Omi says shine, she says shine in the spotless reflection of who you are, girl, woman. I've spent my life clearing weed fills fields for your flowers to grow, so grow. There is strength to be had from this soil. Don't let the dirt distract you from your desire to touch the sky. Because Lord knows, you deserve to touch the sky.
0: When you read, you seem deep inside yourself.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I definitely, when I start... I have to, like, drop in and actually get into the space of when I wrote the poem and what I was feeling and everything and where those emotions lie, you know. Um, And that really helps me to actually bring it forth in its most true form, you know, and, like, this is what the poem is trying to tell you and this is the voice and what it's meant to be read in. Um, And so the reason why I think I'm looking so absorbed by it is because I am, you know, I am living that poem at the moment. And a little bit might have to do with me trying to remember everything that I've written. <laughs> but yeah, I'm definitely absorbed of the poem. Like it's it's my experience, you know, and I I want it to be as authentic as possible. Yeah.
0: Do you feel all the emotions again when you read it?
2: Yeah. Um it's emotions that I think I'm feeling on a day to day basis anyway, you know when I think back to home and like how they're doing there and everything and what it used to be like, I, I'm reminded of it just by the person that I am today. You know, when I speak to my mother, and when I speak to my brothers even, you know, my father too, uh, it's ongoing. Like, from the way that I speak to people, you know, it's a trauma that lives with me. Uh, I'm, I've always been a very shy person, very quiet and like, a little bit anxious sometimes and I think that's because I grew up in a house of a lot of like yelling and shouting and slamming and all that stuff so I, I know how to make myself smaller. When something happens to you over and over again you you will develop coping mechanisms that aren't necessarily needed in certain situations or all situations but just be safe, you apply them.
0: Uh, and <laughs> what about your grandma? The grandma in that poem, did you meet her?
2: Yeah, I did meet her, Um, but my most recent and clearest memories of her were her as a more like elderly woman, and she had Alzheimer's, which she sadly passed away from a couple of years ago, and um, I think around that time was when a lot of people would tell me about her, because she lived in England also, when I lived in Guyana. And so I didn't actually meet her. And, like, the relationship between her and my father were a little bit, it was a little bit strained. And so because I only know her through stories, I feel like she's this sort of character for me rather than a real person. But then also, at the same time, she is me, you know, because I, I look like her, you know. I have the sort of same background that she did. And she is part of me, you know. She is the the reason why I am here. And it was very comforting, actually, in a sense, to know that there is a cycle that is happening and there is a way to actually break it and to end it and to help teach other people how to deal with certain things, especially my own children. You know, if I do so ever have them, I'd be able to at least shed more light onto certain things. Yeah.
0: Even that the future is so uncertain, does it scare you to have kids?
2: I I. Th- I think I'm less scared now than I was before because I'm seeing so much being done by the young people in today's world right now to actually help combat this issue. And so I am very hopeful actually at the moment that we're actually gonna do something about it. I'm not I'm not scared. That doesn't scare me from having of having children. I think what I'm mostly scared about is just like older people kind of like ruining that sort of chance for them you know because there's so many people in power right now who are looking at these kids doing remarkable things and saying that it's not necessary or that they're being delinquents or juvenile you know it's like actually I'm excited to have kids so I know what kind of person that they'll turn out to be and see whether or not they actually help the world and change the world actually so yeah Mm. I'm going to study psychology when I get back to the UK and I want to get into child psychology because I feel like that part of your life is so important, you know, it determines who you're going to be as a person. And if you don't, as I talked about the coping mechanisms, if you don't develop the right ones, you know, the ones that are the most helpful and healthy and rational, then you're going to run into a lot of problems later on in life. And it's much harder, I think, to actually deal with it once you've actually solidified those coping mechanisms, you know, you can't really get rid of them. You just need to create new ones. Um, And also to recognise that they weren't so helpful in the past before, even though you thought they were. Uh, Yeah, so that's why I think it's really important to work with young people because they're the most crucial parts of, you know, society. We need them to be, you know, uh, able to rationalise and, you know, be voices and to think that they can actually say what they need to say, yeah.
0: Will you be at the climate strike on the 15th? Yes.
2: I think with media, especially as fast as it is now, you know, when more than enough people get together and say that this needs to change, a lot of people are there to listen, you know, because we have the platforms.
0: Well, thank you for coming in today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that's all we have time for this week. The spoken word programme airs every week, Thursday 9am, or streaming from www.3cr.org.au. The Feminist Climate Justice Poetry Night is on tonight, 14th of March 2019, from 7.30 at Open Studio at 204 High Street, Northgate. The event is free, but donations are welcome. And there's an open mic for those who wish to share their own stories, so please get along to that. And for all the other events happening in Melbourne, www.melbournespokenword.com is the place to go. I am Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening.